Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to the Dion Gordon Podcast. I'm your host, the connoisseur of common sense, the purveyor of authenticity, the man who calls it right down the middle. Dion Tyree Gordon, enough of the bullshit. Let's get to work. Let's talk basketball. And there's no shortage of basketball to talk about. Right in the thick of the NBA Finals, Team USA men's and women's about to play in the Olympics. The basketball tournament, one of my favorite sporting events all year, currently underway. WNBA All-Star Game last week. Plenty of basketball to talk about. So without further ado, let's get right to the nitty-gritty NBA Finals. Game 6, tomorrow night, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 5 serve form. The Phoenix Suns kicked off the NBA Finals by going up two games to none. The Milwaukee Bucks have won the last three games. They now have a three games to two lead going back to Milwaukee. I'm going to go ahead and call the fight right now. I'm going to go ahead and make a bold proclamation. I'm banging my fists on the table. I'm shoving all my chips to the center of the table. I'm making it known right here and right now this series is over. The Milwaukee Bucks are going to win their first NBA title in over 50 years Tuesday night in Milwaukee. As I've said before in this podcast, quoting the great legendary sports columnist from the Washington Post, great ESPN, longtime ESPN TV personality, one half a part in the interruption with the equally legendary Tony Kornheiser, Michael Wilbon, always been quoted as saying, this is, he says this every year in the NBA playoffs. I love this quote so much. There comes a point in time in every NBA playoff series where both teams realize who the better basketball team is. In game five, last Saturday night in Phoenix, Arizona, the Milwaukee Bucks and the Phoenix Suns both realized who the better basketball team is. This series is over. And the reason why I say it's over and the reason why I have no confidence the Phoenix Suns can come back and win this series, they just don't have enough. They don't have enough ammunition to combat what the Milwaukee Bucks are bringing to the table. They don't have enough big people to throw in front of Giannis Antetokounmpo. It sounds crazy to say this. It sounds ridiculous to say this. But the Phoenix Suns are missing Dario Saric. Dario Saric is 6 feet 10 inches and during the regular season averaged 8.7 points per game. He's a role player, but a really good role player, and he's 6'10". And he tore his ACL in Game 1 of this series, and Phoenix was able to win that game and Game 2, but they haven't won a game since. As I alluded to earlier, they lost Games 3, 4, and 5, losing Game 5 back at home in Phoenix. They are missing Dario Saric. They don't have enough big people. When you got to bring in Frank Kaminsky, you're in trouble. This ain't college basketball. Frank Kaminsky is not a good NBA player. He just isn't. He's in the NBA because he's 6'11", 7 feet, big, tall, can shoot a little bit. Another guy, a body off the bench, another role player. But he's not good enough. When I saw Phoenix have to resort to going to a 2-3 zone in game three to try to slow down Giannis and he still put up over 40 points on them, I knew right then and there it was over. Giannis Antetokounmpo for this series is averaging 32.2 points per game, shooting 61% from the field, 13 rebounds a game, 5.6 assists. He's had back-to-back 40-point performances. Game 2 and a loss, 42-12. Game 3 and a victory, the first win of the series for Milwaukee in this series. Giannis went off for 41-13-6. He is dominating this series. If you've been listening to this podcast, first of all, thank you. Appreciate it. But you already know I'm not a huge fan of Giannis Antetokounmpo. I don't appreciate his game or lack thereof. But at the end of the day, I got to call it as I see it. I got to give, when you're playing well, I'll give you your flowers. I have no problem doing that. He is kicking the Phoenix Suns' ass this series. They have no answer for him. He is a freak of nature. That's why they call him the Greek freak. 
the only big body that Phoenix can throw in front of Giannis is DeAndre Ayton. And when you do that, he runs into foul trouble. So he's ineffective on the offensive end from being physically drained from having to guard Giannis and being in foul trouble. He can't even be on the court most of the time. And like I said, Milwaukee, I'm sorry, Phoenix had to resort to playing a 2-3 zone to try to stop Giannis in game three. It didn't work. So what are you going to do? What adjustments can they possibly make? How is Phoenix going to slow this guy down? They don't have the people to do it. They don't have enough big people to do it. So that's why I'm, you know, I've been watching every game in this series, and game three is when I came to this conclusion that this series is over, Milwaukee in six. I should have made a podcast a week ago and said the same thing. I would look like a genius right now. I just don't see any conceivable way the Phoenix Suns are going to come back and win this series. They don't have people that can even obstruct what Giannis is trying to do. The formula the past couple of years for Giannis defensively has been to try to build a wall between him and the basket. You got to have big people to do that, though. You think about Toronto in 2019, they had Marcus Gasol and Pascal Siakam. They had Serge Ibaka. They had Kawhi Leonard guarding him on the perimeter. They had capable people to obstruct and deter him from what he wants to do. Giannis wants to get downhill, get a running start, and attack the basket. As I lamented about before in this podcast, he doesn't have much of a game. There really ain't too much he's going to do. He'd be best served. He must be listening to the podcast. Appreciate it, Giannis. Thank you. Salute to you. Because I told his brother what he needs to do. Stay in the paint. Stop fucking around on the perimeter. Stay in the paint. Just destroy people in the paint. They have no answer for you. Giannis is at his best when he's attacking downhill and taking shots in the paint, getting putbacks, alley-oops, dunks, spin move, euro step, finish at the rim. That's his game. That's what he does best. He's physically bigger and stronger than everyone else on the court. There's no one who can stop him from doing what he wants to do one-on-one. And unless you have the requisite people on the court who are big enough with the appropriate amount of size that can get in his way, you don't have a chance. And give credit to the Milwaukee Bucks front office for bringing in better teammates and more help for him, bringing in Drew Holiday, bringing in P.J. Tucker. Give credit for that. He's got great teammates, Chris Middleton, Cash Money Middleton, playing out of his mind this series. Brooke Lopez, kicking ass this series. Another big guy, seven feet tall, that Phoenix has no answer for. Pat Connaughton off the bench. Pat Connaughton's averaging like 13 points a game off the bench or something like that. He's killing it right now off the bench. Milwaukee has more guys that can score than Phoenix does. Phoenix has one guy that can score. Everything runs through Devin Booker. Devin Booker had back-to-back 40-point-per-game performances in Games 4 and Game 5, two losses for the Phoenix Suns. Devin Booker's averaging 30 points per game for the entire series. He's leading the Phoenix Suns in points per game. He is carrying his basketball team, and they're down three games to two. He is all they have. Chris Paul, one of my favorite basketball players of all time. I'm a huge fan of Chris Paul ever since I saw him play at Wake Forest. The point guard, the quintessential NBA point guard, the consummate professional. I'm rooting hard for Chris Paul to win this series and get his first ever NBA championship. I want this for Chris Paul, but at the end of the day, he is playing like shit. 21 points a game, 8 assists, a disgusting 18 total turnovers in this series for Chris Paul, including 5 ridiculous, awful, hideous, decrepit, pitiful, woeful, inept, garbage what the fuck were you thinking are you serious are you point shaving are you high turnovers in games four and five really but game four in particular i don't know what was going on i'm watching this game i'm like like i said is he out here point shaving is he serious you waited 16 years to get to this point 
You played your whole career for this for this moment. Finally, you reached the NBA summit. Almost, you're here in the NBA finals, and this is your last shot. Let's call it what it is. Chris Paul will never get back to the NBA finals. You're 35. You're almost at the end of your career. This is it, and this is how you're playing right now. I like Chris Paul. I can't stress that enough. And I'm not going to downplay the fact that the guy's battling a, a bad hand and a bad shoulder, and he was on the COVID-19 list two weeks ago. But if he's not, he's not going to use that as an excuse. So I'm not going to use that as an excuse for him. He is not playing well. Let's just keep it a buck. Let's keep it tall right now. He is not playing well. Chris Paul is not producing at the level that Chris Paul usually produces at. Ever since that 41-point performance to close out the L.A. Clippers in Game 6 of the Western Conference Finals, Chris Paul's numbers have gone down. His points per game, his assist numbers, they've all gone down ever since that. But his turnovers have gone up. Like I said, 18 turnovers in only five games of this series. He's not playing well, and it's costing this team the series right now. Jay Crowder is pretty much obsolete in this series. Michael Bridges, Cam Johnson, campaign, they're okay. They're doing so-so, but not, not to the level of what Milwaukee's other players are doing. Like I said, Milwaukee has more guys that can score. Milwaukee overall is just a better basketball team. Game 5 reaffirmed that. Game 5, Phoenix gets out to a 37-21 run in the first quarter to start the game off. And after that, it was all Milwaukee. Milwaukee had back-to-back 30-point quarters. Milwaukee shot 63% from the field for the rest of the game. They dominated quarters 2, 3, and 4 to close this basketball game out and win it. They almost choked it away at the end. Giannis almost choked it away at the end, missing a bunch of key foul shots, but it didn't matter. The game came down to a critical possession. It's 121-19 after Giannis had bricked a couple of foul shots that could have iced the game put the game away. Devin Booker has the ball in his hands, dribbling it down court. Less than 20 seconds to go. The Phoenix Suns have one timeout. And for the life of me, I don't understand why head coach Monty Williams, another guy that I'm rooting for, I don't understand why Monty Williams didn't call timeout to settle this team down, get their composure right. The crowd's going crazy. They're caught in the heat of the moment. It's 120-119. You got an opportunity to get a go-ahead, potentially game-winning bucket these guys got to calm down. Either Monty Williams got to call timeout or Chris Paul got to have the ball in his hands. You're the veteran. You're the consummate professional. You're the man. You're the leader of this team. Somebody got to calm this team down. Devin Booker has the ball in his hands, rightfully so. I, I have no problem with that. Even if Monty Williams did drop a play, it probably would have ended up in the hands of, of Booker anyway. But he was out of source. He looked discombobulated. He dribbles into the paint, into trouble. A swarm of, of white jerseys from the Milwaukee Bucks all crowd around them, including Giannis. Drew Holiday with a heads-up play, very veteran-savvy play, sags off his man, collapses on Booker, rips the ball out of his hands, comes up with a steal, dribbles up the court. He's got Giannis on the opposite end of the court. That was a beautiful alley-oop pass to him. Giannis finishes despite Chris Paul trying his best to foul him in midair. Didn't work. Giannis with the finish, and that was the end of the game. I know it sounds like Monday morning quarterbacking and hindsight being 2020, but as I'm watching the game, I'm saying to myself, call timeout, Monty Williams. Settle your team down and try to draw up a play to get the best possible shot you can get. He didn't. He allowed Devin Booker to try to close his game out, try to finish it. It didn't work out for them. Ends up in a transition alley-oop to Giannis Antetokounmpo. And like I said, that was the end of the game right there. And to me, 
Games 3, 4, and 5 signify that the Milwaukee Bucks are a better basketball team than the Phoenix Suns. As much as I'm rooting for Chris Paul, as much as I'm rooting for Monty Williams, as much as I like Devin Booker and I'm rooting for him too, and DeAndre Ayton, and Cameron Payne, and Jay Crowder, Phoenix got a lot of people that I like. But at the end of the day, they don't have enough to beat the Milwaukee Bucks. I firmly believe this series ends Tuesday night in Milwaukee, Bucks and Six. NBA champions Giannis Antetokounmpo, NBA Finals MVP, with an honorable mention to Chris Middleton, like I said, has been outstanding this series, hitting clutch buckets down the stretch. You go back to game four, Chris Middleton by himself went on an 8-0 run. This is when Phoenix was up by nine in the fourth quarter. They blew a nine-point lead. Milwaukee came back on the back of Chris Middleton, who went on that 8-0 run by himself, and they were able to take the lead, hold on, and close the game out. Middleton's averaging 25 a game on 45% shooting, about 5.4 assists, and 6.6 rebounds. Once again, I'll say it one more time. The Milwaukee Bucks have more better basketball players than the Phoenix Suns do. The Milwaukee Bucks have more guys that can score points than the Phoenix Phoenix Suns do. The Phoenix Suns offense right now goes through Devin Booker. Unless they get significant contributions from Paul, Aiton, Crowder, and the rest of them brothers over there, this series is over in six. And you think about what that scene in Milwaukee is going to be on Tuesday night. This is... Milwaukee, Wisconsin, this is typically a football place, but they have really gravitated towards and rallied around their basketball team, the Milwaukee Bucks. The Deer District outside the building, all the rabbit cheese heads inside the building, they have really taken to this basketball team. It's been fun to see. I like seeing teams who don't win, typically, all of a sudden start winning. Teams who haven't won in a long time. And once we got to the semifinals in the playoffs this year, you were pretty much guaranteed a brand-new team winning the NBA title this year when you had Phoenix and Milwaukee, Atlanta, Philadelphia as a one since 83, and when you had uh, Denver and the Clippers, teams like that still playing in the semifinals, Utah, all these teams still playing who haven't won in a long time. It was, it's, it's refreshing. It was fun to watch. It was cool to see. But that crowd in Milwaukee and that scene in Milwaukee on Tuesday night, it's going to be crazy. It's going to be ridiculous. I don't see a way Phoenix walks into that scene, into that environment, and comes out with a victory. I don't see any possible way this series gets back to Phoenix. Monty Williams, after game five, was quoted as saying that our focus right now is to make sure Milwaukee has to get back on another flight to come back out to Phoenix. I just don't see it happening unless they got some travel arrangements, some vacation arrangements, unless they want to go to Scottsdale or something like that and get 18 holes of golf in. In the offseason, when this series is over, I don't see this thing going back to Phoenix. I just don't see it. So for the people in Milwaukee, for all the people who normally support the Packers and the Badgers, now you got a basketball team to support, and they're on the cusp of winning their first NBA championship in over 50 years with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who back then was Lou Alcindor, and the great Oscar Robertson. Congratulations. Job well done. I'm not even mad at you. I don't care about the Milwaukee Bucks. They don't bother me. I'm a Laker fan. Milwaukee never beat the Lakers for nothing of consequence. So go ahead and have your little championship. I don't care about this. It is what it is. My Lakers will hopefully regroup and get their shit together next season and make another run at it. But for this season, it appears to me it's going to be the Milwaukee Bucks. So once again, tip of the cap to you, my friend. Congratulations. Good on you. You put together a good basketball team. You worked hard. Listen, Giannis and Chris Middleton were on this team when they were 15 and 67. 
when the Bucks were at the bottom of the league in 2014 and 2015, Chris Middleton was a G League player at one point for the Fort Wayne Mad Ants. I respect the grind. This brother came from nothing. Completely got it all the way out the mud. Giannis, same thing. Giannis came out of nowhere. Nobody had Giannis on their radar when he came into the league in the NBA draft. This team was 15 and 67, and those two brothers were on that team in 2015. Salute and respected them for putting the work in, embracing the grind, building this team up organically, not just jumping ship and running somewhere else and linking up with other cats to build a super team or riding somebody else's coattails. These brothers did, did this the right way. I can't be mad at it. Not a fan of Giannis, but I respect the dude's grind. I respect the work he's put in. From a physical standpoint in regards to building his body up, I don't see too much work with his game, but in today's NBA, in today's day and age, you ain't got to be that skilled apparently. You don't need that much game. So you can just be bigger and stronger and faster and run everybody over and be league MVP twice and win an NBA championship. So congratulations to the Milwaukee Bucks, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, my man Bobby Portis, salute to him, Bryn Forbes, Pat Connaughton, Brooke Lopez, all them brothers, congratulations. And I'll tell you another reason why I feel so confident, so adamant that the Milwaukee Bucks are going to close this series out in six games. I think that the lead official, the crew chief for game six, is going to be Scott Foster, who was also the lead official, the crew chief for game three. Now, the reason why that's so important and the reason why that stands out so much to me is that for whatever reason, Chris Paul is now 0-12 in games being officiated where, where Scott Foster is the lead official for the game. 0-12 now in games where Scott Foster is the lead head official for the game. That spans from the Clippers to the Rockets to the Thunder and now to the Phoenix Suns. Scott Foster, I think, was the referee in the first round versus the Lakers in game, I want to say three. Yeah, it was game three of that series. The Lakers won that game. Chris Paul cannot win a basketball game when Scott Foster is a lead official. A number of players throughout the league for years have voiced their displeasure with Scott Foster. Paul Pierce, Chris Paul, a handful of guys have openly spoken out against him. He calls, he calls a very tight game, very close to the vest. He won't let you get away with certain things. Chris Paul does have a reputation for being a dirty player. He will take some certain liberties. He will go, he will push the envelope a little bit. That's always been who Chris Paul's been on the basketball court, a guy who would take liberties, push the envelope, cut some corners, borderline cheat to get what he wants and try to get an advantage. Very savvy basketball player, very smart basketball player. He knows how to manipulate things. And Chris Paul himself is aware of the fact that he's not won a playoff game where Scott Foster is a lead official. He, he openly complained about him after the Suns' 109-95 loss in the first round of Game 3 versus the Lakers. He's openly complained about him multiple times. He complained about him in this series. Years ago when he was in Houston, he and James Harden both openly complained about Scott Foster. James Harden went to the league offices about it. He was so pissed off and upset at Scott Foster. So he's in these guys' heads. And for Chris Paul, he does, he's aware. Like I said, this is a smart, savvy basketball player. He's cognizant of the fact that when Scott Foster is the lead official, he's probably he's going to lose. He said it in the post-game news conference after that loss to the Lakers in Game 3 in the first round. That's 11 in a row. He knows. It's in his head. It's on his mind. If Scott Foster is the lead official in Game 6, it's probably going to be 0-13, and that's going to be the end of the series. That's going to be curtains for the Phoenix Suns. That's just something to think about. 
you know, as a as a 49er fan, um, I always got to relate everything back to the 49ers. But as a 49er fan, it reminds me of Super Bowl 54, the game that I still need therapy for. I talk to so many Niner fans, and they complain and lament about how Super Bowl 55 was officiated so much differently than Super Bowl 54, and the referees were throwing the flag on Kansas City and calling holding penalties and defensive pass interferences. And so many Niner fans are like, well, where was that last year? Where was that in Super Bowl 54? And I tell these people, the crew chief, the lead official for Super Bowl 54 was Bill Vinovich. Bill Vinovich calls a very loose game. He will allow you to take liberties. He will allow you to do some certain, do some nefarious things on the, on the football field. You can grab, you can hold. So when Nick Bosa is being obviously held on that third and 15, when Kansas City runs jet chip wasp and throws it deep downfield to Tyreek Hill and picks up a pivotal third and 15 first down to move the chains, keep the drive going, even though Nick Bosa is obviously being held, Bill Vinovich ain't going to call that shit. Bill Vinovich was the lead official in that 2019 NFC Championship game between the New Orleans Saints and L.A. Rams. And remember that infamous blown pass interference call that wasn't called that Saints fans to this day are still pissed off about. Bill Vinovich was the lead official for that game, standing right there watching it. He was five yards away from that play, did not throw the flag on an obvious, clear-as-day pass interference. Saints fans are ready to poison Bill Vinovich's gumbo the next time he comes down to New Orleans. That's, that's just what it is. The officials shouldn't be noticeable. You shouldn't even know the names of the officials. But if you're a sports nerd like me, you pick up on certain things like that. Referees are like offensive linemen. You shouldn't know their name unless they fucked up. Bill Vinovich fucked up in that game. He fucked up in Super Bowl 54, so you know his name. Scott Foster is another guy in the NBA. As an NBA referee, he has a certain reputation. And if you follow the sport closely, you know who he is. And you know what kind of game it's going to be when Scott Foster is your lead official. Just something to think about. You know, I'm the kind of dude I notice everything. No matter where I go, no matter what I'm doing, no matter what's around me, what my surroundings are, I take notice of everything. I got my eyes on the prize at all times. You got to in today's world. You got to be vigilant, cognizant, aware of every fucking thing around you. It's no different than when I'm watching sports. I pay attention to everything. The referee assignments are pivotal. You know, really the onus is on the coaches to tell their players what kind of game this is going to be because a certain official was leading this game. Kyle Shanahan should have told the 49ers, hey, take some liberties, grab, hold, interfere with the receiver, slow them down, bump and run, press coverage, beat them up a little bit. You can get away with some shit today. Bill Vinovich is the lead official. You can get away with certain things. That's on the coaches, really. Monty Williams, same thing with the Phoenix Suns. should be telling his guys, hey, this game's going to be a little bit closer to the vest. There's certain things you can't do. There's certain things you can't get away with. Scott Foster's a lead official. Just chill out. Just play, play the game as is. Don't even try to take some chances and try to get away with certain things because he's going to blow the whistle. He's going to call the foul on you. So really, that all comes back to the coaches. One more thing to look out for and one more thing I want to add and say about the NBA Finals, man. Salute. All flowers given, all praises due to the commentary team for the NBA Finals. Like I said, I watch and pay attention to everything. Every small, minute detail about everything matters to me, almost to the point where it's like paralysis by analysis. Like I'm I'm a little bit too over-analytical, 
but but fuck it. That's just who I am. But I'm paying attention to everything in the commentary for the NBA Finals, as it's been for the past decade, has been fucking phenomenal. Mike Breen is the GOAT of commentary with all due respect to Marv Albert, who hung it up this year, was retiring from commentary after like 50 years of doing commentary for the Knicks and the NBA and NFL. Salute to Marv Albert, a vital part of my childhood. I was raised on the NBA on NBC with those classic Bulls and Knicks games, Pacers, Knicks games, Lakers, Pacers. I was raised on that with Mike Fratello and Marv Albert, the czar, Mike Fratello and Marv Albert doing commentary for these iconic NBA playoff games. So as a basketball fan, Marv Albert will always have a place with me. Uh, but with all due respect to him, Mike Breen has surpassed him. Mike Breen is the GOAT of NBA commentary. When you hear that bang, you already know something big just happened. You could be like have your eyes turned away from the TV screen. You could be in the next room. You could be looking at your phone or something. But when you hear that enthusiastic bang, you know something big just happened. You know somebody just pulled up from 30 and drilled a three, a big three to give his team the lead. You better hope your team is on the receiving end of that. Mike Breen is the commentary goat. He makes every game sound and look even better. He gives it that big feel, that big fight feel, that presence about it. Mark Jackson, Jeff Van Gundy, that playful, realistic, friendly banter between each other. All three of them have a nice rapport with each other. These three are the best. Van Gundy is the realest dude talking basketball on TV. And so was Martin Jackson. Martin Jackson and Van Gundy, two of the realest dudes on TV talking basketball, expert analysis, great opinions, funny when they need to be, serious when they need to be. Van Gundy has no problem calling out bullshit. I appreciate that. Same thing with Martin Jackson. He'll call some bullshit from time to time as well. These three are awesome together. They're impeccable. They are, to me, in my estimation, the greatest commentary team in all of sports the past 25 years. Not just in basketball, but in all sports, period. I mean, I look at the NFL. I mean, you could say Jim Nance and Tony Romo are a great commentary team, and they are. Um, Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth on Sunday Night Football on NBC. I might be in the minority on this. I'm probably the only person who enjoys Collinsworth's commentary and doesn't think he's the worst thing ever. I've been watching Collinsworth since I was watching Inside the NFL on HBO back in the 90s, so I have no problem with the dude. And Al Michaels is a G. Al Michaels is a living legend. You can't even talk about sports commentary without talking about Al Michaels. This guy goes from the Miracle on Ice in the 1980 Olympics to right now and everything in between. Football, basketball, he did baseball way back in the day. Al Michaels is an absolute institution, a living legend. Him and Collinsworth or Nance and Romo, they're great, but to me there's no commentary team in any sport on par with Mike Breen, Jeff Van Gundy, and Mark Jackson. Salute to those three. Keep up the good work. Keep being awesome in what you do. As a sports fan, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Mike Breen, Jeff Van Gundy, Mark Jackson. Awesome. Let's talk about Team USA. Got off to a rough start, losing to Nigeria, then followed that up with a loss to Australia. Now they've bounced back to win the last two games. They beat Spain yesterday. Before that, they beat Argentina. When they got off to that 0-2 start, people online, all types of sports fans, thought the sky was falling. Everyone asking, wondering, what's wrong with Team USA? How come they're losing? How come they're not winning games by 100 points like they used to? Well, I got, I got news for you. The rest of the world caught up. That's what happened. That's why they're struggling right now. There's a lot of reasons why they're struggling right now. But number one, you know, the, the original Dream Team, really the only real Dream Team in 1992, 
taught the rest of the world how to play basketball, and they picked up on it. And that was 29 years ago, Dream Team 1992, with Jordan and Pippen and Magic and Bird and Barkley and Ewing and Stockton and Chris Mullins and, for some reason, Christian Leitner and Clyde Drexler and David Robinson and Carl Malone. That was the first time professional NBA basketball players were playing on the Olympic stage, and they decimated the rest of the world usually winning games by at least 50 points. They annihilated everybody they played against. They had no close games. The only tough games they had were against college players in the U.S. in a, a, a scripted scrimmage, basically, where they lost the first one and came back and blew them out in the second game in Monte Carlo or their own inter-squad scrimmage in Monte Carlo. That, that, that's a legendary game. You can find that game somewhere on YouTube. You should sit down and watch it, and you can find a tape of it. It's hard to find. But that's a legendary, much-talked-about scrimmage where Team USA played against each other. But my point is, we taught the rest of the world how to play basketball 29 years ago. They picked up on it, and they've closed the gap in the past 29 years to the point where it's not going to be a walk in the park. It's not going to be a layup. It's not going to be easy. This ain't going to be light work. Just running through the rest of the world the way we've grown accustomed to seeing Team USA do over the past 29 years, except for 2004, we came home with the bronze medal. But other than that, we've been kicking everyone else's ass. So for people who think, is this going to continue to be that same level of difficulty, like just that easy, just that simple for Team USA to simply put their uniforms on, step on the court and handle business, it's not going to be that way. The rest of the world got better at playing basketball. Look across the NBA landscape. You've got great foreign players all over the league. I talked about Giannis Antetokounmpo who's probably more than likely going to be NBA Finals MVP. He's Greek. Luka Doncic, who's taken the NBA by storm in the past two or three years. He's Slovenian. You look at the guy like Rudy Gobert, one of the better big men in the NBA, one great defensive player for the Utah Jazz, who's going to be playing for the French national team. France is a good team to look out for. That's a team that could be a roadblock for the United States going forward in these Olympics. They played Spain earlier today. They won that game. Spain is another tough team. That was, a, that was a back and forth close game. Spain has both Gasol brothers uh, playing. Pau Gasol, 41 years young. My man Pau Gasol, salute to him. Ex-Laker, legendary Laker. Should have his jersey retired by the Lakers. Pau Gasol's playing. His brother Mark Gasol's playing. Ricky Rubio playing for the Spaniard national team. That's three NBA players right there. That's a good basketball team. You go back to 2012, the uh, Spanish national team took Team USA to the gold medal game and went down to the wire. If it wasn't for the late, great Kobe Bryant, I'm not sure if USA wins the gold medal in 2012. As long as Spain has the Gasol brothers on their team and Rubio, it's always going to be a tough out. The Czech Republic has Thomas Sadoransky, who currently plays for the Chicago Bulls. The Australian men's national team being led by Patty Mills, Joe Ingles, Aaron Baines from the Toronto Raptors, Dante Exum from the Cleveland Cavaliers, Matthew Delavadova, also from the Cleveland Cavaliers. On the Australian national team. That's a tough team. They beat USA in the second exhibition game. Nigeria being coached by Golden State Warriors assistant head coach Mike Brown, who's been in the NBA for a long time, coached the Cavaliers in the NBA Finals back in 2007. He's leading um, the Nigerian national basketball team, and they have a couple of NBA guys in their roster as well, guys like Josh Okogie from the Minnesota Timberwolves, Precious Achilwa from the Miami Heat, uh, Denver Nuggets guard Monte Morris was invited to the Nigerian basketball team training camp. And speaking of the Nigerian men's basketball team, uh, Stephen A. Smith, your friend and mine, went on ESPN and once again made a complete ass out of himself by mocking and ridiculing the, the names of these grown men, of these brothers on live national television. 
laughing and joking and mispronouncing their names on purpose like it's fucking funny or something like that. And then also stuck his foot in his, in his mouth by talking shit about Shohei Otani, saying that he'd be better, he'd be more marketable if he could speak English or whatever. Now, he went on TV and apologized to Otani because he had to because his bosses made him. His white zaddy told him to go apologize to the Asian dude. But for those brothers from the Nigerian basketball team, nah, fuck them. They don't need an apology. Fuck you, Stephen A. Smith. I just wanted to make sure I got that part in there. But getting back to the basketball talk, you have all these NBA players playing for all these different national teams all over the world, and they've been playing together for years. They have cohesion. They're accustomed to playing with each other. This USA basketball team was just thrown together about two weeks ago. They had their first practice two weeks ago. And people expect them to just roll out and just start beating teams by 40 or 50 points every night. That's unrealistic. We're not in that day and age anymore. This is not 1992, 1996, 2000. It's not like that anymore. The rest of the world caught up and got better. And like I said, they've been playing with each other for years. They know each other. They have rapport. They have cohesion with each other. This team doesn't have that. doesn't help the cause when you lose Kevin Love when Zach Levine earlier today was put on the COVID protocol list, when Bradley Beal gets sent home, so you're losing three of your best players on the team, potentially. You already lost Kevin Love. He's been replaced by Keldon Johnson from the San Antonio Spurs, who was excellent, had about 15 points in that win over Spain earlier. He was awesome. But overall, you have a makeshift team with some guys randomly thrown together. They have no real big men, no inside presence, really. I mean, Kevin Love was supposed to be that. But Kevin Love withdrew because he wasn't feeling good, feeling a little banged up, had a right calf strain, still lingering from the regular season. This team, I don't think, is a slam dunk to go win the gold medal. It wouldn't surprise me if a different country, another nation, won the gold medal. Team USA get the silver or the bronze. Wouldn't surprise me. Because like I said, the rest of the world got better. This team's been randomly thrown together. Even though you got Kevin Durant and Dame Lillard and Jason Tatum, And guys like that, this is not the juggernaut Team USA people have grown accustomed to. The best USA-born players are not playing in this Olympics other than KD, Tatum, and Lillard. Curry's not playing. LeBron's not playing. Anthony Davis is not playing. Kawhi Leonard is hurt. He had ACL surgery last week. Best wishes. best, uh, Best of luck. Good luck to him. Get well soon, Kawhi Leonard. Paul George, Trey Young, Zion Williamson. Where are those guys at, by the way? Can someone explain to me how Zion, Trey Young, and John Morant didn't make this Team USA roster? Those are three of your best, brightest, youngest, up-and-coming players in the NBA. Three marketable guys. You can sell those guys. You can make money off them. Great players. Trey Young, great shooter. Zion didn't even make the playoffs. Morant made the playoffs and lost in the first round to Utah. So those guys are young and fresh. Trey Young lost in the, in the conference finals to Milwaukee. But those guys should have been on the team, I think. Now, the Team USA will get Devin Booker and Chris Middleton to play after the NBA finals is over, which I think is insane. For me personally, if I was Devin Booker or Chris Middleton, I'm not playing for Team USA. Truthfully, no matter who you are, no matter when and where your team finished at this season, I wouldn't play for Team, US, team USA. I got my own reasons for that. But if these guys want to play – to raise their profile, to get some exposure, more marketable, like I said, then go ahead and play. Go ahead and make your money overseas and establish your international brand. I ain't got no problem with that. But I'm just wondering why Trey Young, John Morant, and Zion Williamson weren't even weren't put on the team, maybe not even invited to come play for Team USA. It's kind of peculiar to me. Something else I noticed about Team USA in those first two losses to Nigeria and Australia, 
especially in particular with Bradley Beal, who's no longer on the team, but Bradley Beal and Jason Tatum and Dame Lillard too seem to be looking for fouls too often and too much. They were physically, you could see them on tape, they would look at the referee puzzled as to why a foul wasn't called. What these guys got to understand, especially the younger players who never played on the international stage before, what they got to understand is that this is not the NBA. International basketball is sort of like mid-2000s NBA, where it's physical, you can get away with certain things, you can play a certain style of basketball and prosper, and the referees are not going to bail you out. You got to actually play basketball on the international stage. So for these young guys who are on the team and guys who never played for Team USA before, they, they better get used to that. The referees are not going to bail you out. So when I saw Tatum and Beal looking for the referees to blow a whistle to call a foul in those first two exhibition games, I knew right then and there they're not 100% ready for this right now. They can get ready. They appear to have gotten ready with the way they've played the last two exhibition games, but the first two exhibition games kind of threw them for a loop, kind of caught them off guard because they were so used, so accustomed to getting these ticky-tack bullshit fouls in the NBA that you don't get on the international world stage. And that's what this whole team has to figure out and understand. The referees are not going to bail you out on the FIBA stage the same way they'll bail you out in the NBA stage. And once again, that goes back to coaching. Popovich has to tell these guys, these refs are not going to call this game the same way you're used to a game being called. This is not a regular season game versus the Washington Wizards. This is a FIBA international basketball game. It's different rules. You can actively goaltend. If the ball's on the rim, you can knock it off the rim. There's certain little things like that you can do on the international stage that you can't do on the NBA. And these guys got to get accustomed to that. Like I said, that goes back to coaching, number one, first and foremost. They should get it figured out. Popovich is one of the greatest coaches of all time. They have plenty of ta- They have enough talent on their team. I do worry about the lack of size in the middle and the lack of big men on the team. That could be a possible deterrent. That could possibly keep them from getting that gold medal. We'll see what happens. The old team is black, so I root for them. But I'll be keeping an eye on Team USA. Basketball is one. Basketball and track and field are really the only two sports I watch in the Olympics anyway because it's mostly black people doing it. Everything else is kind of a wash to me. But I'll be watching Team USA intently to see what they do and how they do and, and where they finish at. Should be fun to watch. Moving on to the WNBA ladies. I watch y'all play. I'm not ashamed to say it. I'm man enough and masculine enough to say I watched the WNBA. I've been watching it since the inception. The very first game, New York Liberty and the L.A. Sparks, Rebecca Lobo, Lisa Leslie, Teresa Witherspoon for the New York Liberty hit the game-winning shot in that inaugural game. Cynthia Cooper, Cheryl Swoops, Tina Thompson, Jen Azy. Ruthie Bolton, Holyfield, Dawn Staley. I've been watching the WNBA since the very beginning and all the way to right now. And you goddamn sure, you better believe I sat down and watched the WNBA All-Star Game last week. First and foremost, I fuck with the format that they had. They had their Olympic team, the Women's United States Olympic team, go up against WNBA All-Stars who weren't selected for the women's, for Team USA women's basketball team. That format was fire. This was the best all-star game I've seen in years for any sport. No cap, no joke, no bullshit. This was the best all-star game I've seen for any sport in recent years. This was competitive. They played hard. They played tough. They took it personal. 
The women who didn't get selected for Team USA took this shit personal. It meant something to them to go out there and win and ball out. And Team USA women's basketball team has been struggling a little bit. They lost two games uh, in, in the exhibition stage. But the sisters who didn't make Team USA went out there and gave them sisters hell. The women who did make it, they got hell from the women who didn't make it. Arika Ungumawale from Notre Dame, this sister is talented. She was the MVP of the game. I've been watching her for years. I fuck with Notre Dame women's basketball. I remember that game-winning shot she made in the tournament a couple years ago versus UConn. You know, Notre Dame women's basketball team been fired for a number of years. Head coach Muffin McGraw stepped down. I think Neil, Neil Ivey took over for her place. Natalie Achumwa was there for a couple of years. She was a great player. Skylar Diggins. You know, Notre Dame women's basketball always been great for like as long as I've been watching women's basketball. It's always been like them, UConn, Tennessee back in the day with the, the late great Pat Summit, Baylor women's basketball with, with Kim Mulkey Robertson and what she built down there. Brittany Griner played at Baylor. A lot of great women's basketball players. Played, Odyssey Sims played at Baylor. A lot of great women's basketball players played at Baylor for Kim Mulkey in the past 20 years. Of course, you got your reigning uh, women's national championship team, the Stanford Cardinal. Tara Vanderveer been putting in work for years, for decades with Stanford, with that team in Palo Alto. They won a national championship this year, beating Arizona State in the final. They put out great players like both Ngumake's sisters, Chine and Neka, Candace Wiggins, Jane Appel. I fuck with women's basketball. Can't nobody tell me shit. I watch women's basketball. I'm a fan of this shit. I support their game. These women can play. They play at a high level. Only thing missing is like dunks and alley-oops, things of that nature. But I ain't going to hold that against them. They're women. They're not as big and strong as men are. That's, just, that's, ge- that's genetics. That's just the way it is. I can't expect a woman to do something that a man can do. That's just that's just the way it is. Their ball is their hands are smaller. Their ball is smaller. It just is what it is. But if you take that part out of it, remove that from your brain, just watch the game as is. Watch the game from a basketball purist standpoint. Or if you just really love basketball, you should be able to appreciate women's basketball. So that women's that WNBA All Star game, awesome. Can't say nothing about it. Can't say nothing bad about it. Good basketball on both sides. It was a joy to watch. Candace Parker probably should have been on Team USA. She was snubbed, and she was she was another one. You could tell she took it personal. She took it the hardest. She didn't get selected for Team USA. Liz Cambage, who's Australian, was was selected for the Australian women's basketball team. She is now backed out due to some mental health issues or different personal reasons that, that she's having. Ho- hopefully she gets well, she gets better with whatever she's going through. I'm a, I'm a big fan of Liz Cambage. This woman is six foot eight, dominant in the post, great footwork, big body for a woman. She's been moving women out the way. She can ball. She got a game for real. So does Candace Parker. So do a lot. All these women got a lot of game. They can ball. They can hoop for real. I always laugh when I see dudes online mocking and ridiculing women's basketball and saying, well, they, they belong in the kitchen. They suck. They this, that, and the third. It's like, dude, you could not beat any woman in this league in a game of one-on-one. You get your ass handed to you. You can barely even tie your shoes. You're a grown man with a fupa. You can't even get off. You can't even get off the couch. What are you talking about? These women belong in the kitchen. They suck. They're not good at basketball. They're not real athletes. What are you? Stop. Stop being disrespectful. That's just crazy to me. Give Give these women a proper respect. They play basketball. They do what they gotta do. It's a growing league too. The league's only been around since '96. It's 25 years of this. 
This is a growing league, and they're growing it in the right direction for the most part. So, yeah, salute to them. Women's WNBA All-Star game was fire. Like I said, Arike, Arike and Gumba Wale, game MVP, well-deserved, well-earned. It was good shit watching that last week. Good luck to the Team USA women's basketball team as well. Hopefully them sisters can go over there, win gold like they always do, do their thing, and carry on. Good shit. Last but not least, this is a basketball, talking basketball podcast. So I'm talking about any and all basketball, any formats, any gender, NBA, United States. This is a very interesting time to be a basketball fan because you got a lot of basketball being played at once. The NBA Finals, Team USA men and women, and the TBT, the basketball tournament, which is played every year during the summertime on ESPN for a million dollars. If you're not familiar with the basketball tournament, my advice to you is to get familiar because the, the basketball tournament, the TBT, is fucking fire. This is a 64-team winner-take-all single elimination tournament for a $1 million prize, and all 64 teams are basically collegiate alumni who went to certain schools all over the country Guys who didn't quite make the NBA, maybe they were in the NBA for a year or two, kind of washed out. Uh, keep in mind, there's only 30 teams in the NBA, 15 spots on the roster. So it's 450 jobs in the NBA. It's scarce. When you watch an NBA game, you're watching the 450 best players in the world at a game of basketball. So not everyone can make it. A lot of, a lot of guys got to go play overseas, keep their hoop dreams going, and play in different European countries, different European leagues. And that's where the bulk of the, the talent in the, in the basketball tournament comes from, is a lot of these guys who are big stars or known name brand players in college who didn't quite make the NBA, but they're playing overseas. They get a lot of those guys to come in and play in this TBT in the basketball tournament and, and represent whatever college they went to and link up with other players from the same university. And they come in this tournament and ball out 64 teams, million bucks, winner take all, ESPN all summer. I highly suggest, I highly recommend, if you're a basketball fan, fuck with the basketball tournament. This is good basketball. These brothers out here playing hard, like it's game seven every single game. All they got, 100%, leaving nothing on the floor. If you love basketball, you should love this shit. This is good basketball. It's a good tournament. I can't stress this enough. I highly recommend it. Here are the rules. For the basketball tournament, games are played in nine-minute quarters instead of 20-minute halves. Players foul out upon their sixth personal foul instead of the fifth. Bonus free throws follow NCAA women's and FIBA rules with two free throws on the fifth and subsequent non-shooting fouls by the defense in the quarter. An exception to this rule will be added for the 2020 tournament, so it was already added a year ago. Any foul during the Elam ending, I'll get to that later, will result in a bonus free throw that will instead be given to the non-fouling team one free throw and possession of the ball. They incorporate FIBA rules on basket interference, except on free throws, which, as I alluded to earlier, which means if the ball's rolling around the rim, you could just knock it off. It's not a, not a foul, not a goal 10, not anything. It's, it's legal. It's, it's within the rules. Replay review was governed by NCAA rules with one modification. 
Any review allowed only in the last two minutes of a game under NCAA rules is allowed in the TBT only if either team is within three points of the Elam ending target score. Due to adoption of the Elam ending for all games, there is no overtime. Now, you might be asking, what is the Elam ending? Well, in 2017, the tournament's playing games utilized the Elam ending rules devised by Ball State University professor Nick Elam. Pursuant to the Elam ending, the game clock is turned off at the first whistle with up to four minutes remaining. The teams then play to a target score with the shot clock still, still being enforced. As the first team to meet or exceed the target score wins, there are no overtime games. Since the 2018 edition, the Elam ending has been used in all games. Originally, the target score was seven points more than the team leading or tie score. Since 2019, the target score is eight points more than the leading team's tied score. The winning score can be a walk-off, field goal, three-point shot, or free throw. So basically what that means is, if a team is up, like, let's say, 80 to 66, they might set the Elam ending at 87. So both teams have to play to 87. So the team that has 80 obviously is closer to getting to 87. All they got to do is score seven points and then win the basketball team, the basketball game, I'm sorry. The team who has 66 has to outscore the other team 21 to less than seven, basically, to come back and win the game. They still have a shot to win the game, but it's a, a pretty big hill to climb being down by 14, and the target score is 87, and the opposing team already has 80. So if that makes sense, cool. If it doesn't, that's cool too. But if you only watch NBA basketball, you've already seen the Elam ending in effect because the NBA has adopted that for the All-Star game in the past two seasons where they set the final score basically, and whoever has the lead late in the game has to play to that final score, and they can already win the game. I'm a big fan of the Elam ending. I think it's a great way to finish a basketball game. Uh, some of the notable names and players in this tournament, the number one seed in the Columbus region, Carmen's Crew, which is comprised of Ohio State Buckeye alumni. Uh, Jared Sullinger will be on the sidelines, the head coach. Evan Turner is the general manager. Both of those guys played in the NBA for a little bit. William Buford, David Lighty, Aaron Kraft. You might recognize some of those names from the past couple years. From the NCAA tournament, Floyd Mayweather as a team in the TBT this year called What Else? The Money Team, the number five seed in the Columbus uh, region. They have Amir Johnson and Jonathan Simmons on the team looking to rebound from a surprising first-round exit in last year's tournament. This is a tournament for basketball purists. This is a tournament for people who follow the sport, basketball nerds, I should say. If you really follow the sport, and you know who all these guys are, you're going to love the basketball tournament. There's another team called Men of Mackey, representing uh, Purdue Boilermaker alumni. You got Robbie Hummel on that team. You know, things like that, like different names from the past that you know and recognize, guys you saw playing the tournament 10, 15 years ago. They're grown men now. It's, it's fun to watch. It's another opportunity for those guys to play basketball. I can't stress this enough. I can't recommend it enough. If you've got some time on your hands, you're sitting at home, nothing to do, nothing on TV, turn on ESPN and watch the basketball tournament. Give it a shot. Fuck with it. I promise you it's, it's going to be good, hard-nosed, competitive, tough basketball. The TBT is all good with me. Uh, one last thing, the Big Three League, I think, just started. Um, I didn't watch any games yet, so I really can't comment too much on that. And the Big Three is cool, too, because that's ex-NBA alumni still showing you they can still play. Ice Cube gave these guys a, a platform to still play and make money and maintain their visibility. That's half court. They're playing until 50. 
Uh, still good basketball. I, I watched the Big Three over the years. I fuck with it. Good basketball. Uh, so salute the Ice Cube for putting that whole thing together. And that's it. That's about that about wraps it up. That concludes this edition of the Dion Gordon podcast. Once again, eternally grateful, always humble, very much appreciative. Thank you so much for listening. I truly do appreciate it. Uh, until next time, picture me rolling. I'm out.